The Athen Real Talk podcast explores controversial ideas to stimulate debate and active thinking. These ideas do not always reflect Athen's personal views. Welcome to the Athen Real Talk podcast. He has been called the best gamer in the world, hands down. World famous gamer and philanthropist Athen. Gaming for good, it's called, has raised more than $20 million. Using his notoriety to raise money for charity. On activism, science, culture, and self-development. I'm proud to have him in the studio today. I would not want to take you on in a video game. Yeah, I wanted to talk about something. It's something that Sami Nami talked about, and I'm going to bring it up. And I wonder what you guys think about it. Because to me, it makes a lot of sense. But it's because I'm coming from a place where I don't really have a strong identity. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Because when he mentioned it, I immediately thought like, yeah, this is really going to help a lot of people. Your subconsciousness experiences emotions, right? And then you have thoughts and you rationalize the thoughts around the emotions. The thing is, though, that the thoughts themselves also arise from your subconsciousness. You might wonder, how does that work? Like, when I'm speaking to you guys, I don't have some process going on where I am thinking about what I'm going to say. It just comes naturally. I just speak. It comes from the subconscious. So as much as emotions are brought about through your subconsciousness, as much are thoughts. So when you have a certain thought in your head, they just pop out. It's not like you think, and then suddenly the thought is there. No, they just pop out. So basically... What is extremely important is to not identify with your emotions and beat yourself over it, but not to identify with your thoughts either. That's what Saminami said, and I think it can help a lot of people. What does that mean? If there's a certain thought that pops up, or if you're talking, for example, and someone says something and you just respond, then you have the tendency to identify with what you just said. Obviously, because you made a point. You made a statement, you made a point, and as a result, you're attached to it. You've got to defend it. But if you don't identify with your thoughts, then you can say something and still go back on it. And that's the power of being able to be in the moment and be detached from an identity. Because people have the tendency to identify by the thoughts that come up as well. So basically, you are not the thoughts that pop out in your head. Okay, so Ophidoche says, I think it was a good start, but explain further. Like when there is a thought that pops up in my head. Do I label it or how does that mean? Basically, when people have thoughts, what they do is the following. Let's say you're in a conversation and someone says something and triggers you and just respond. You immediately identify with what you just said. Let's say someone like, oh, do you like this color? You go like, nah. Or do you like the taste? You go like, nah. Or do you like this concept? You go like, nah. You're going to have a tendency to strengthen your opinion there. And the thing is, there's actually been studies in psych, like in sociology, where they frame something differently And they get people to say either A or B. And the way they propose it, like one group says mainly A and the other group says mainly B. And then they start defending that opinion. And that's the problem. If you are very impulsive in the way you react and you start identifying and backwards rationalizing your decisions that you made, then as a result, you become more and more emotionally attached to it. So it's fine to understand that thoughts just pop up. It's fine to even speak them out. But it's flawed to emotionally attach yourself to them. The moment you realize that, you just see thoughts for what they are and you can use your reason to process whether a thought is valid or not. So it's not just the emotion that is an issue. It's also the thoughts that rise subconsciously can really put you on the wrong path if you identify with them. And the reason for me that it's quite new is because I never identify with my thoughts. It doesn't make any sense to me. I fully accept that I might be wrong 
or that what I'm thinking might be flawed. I'm not attached to what I'm saying. And as long as you are doing that, you can't really get into a slippery slope. Tina, how can helping others be selfless when doing so provides meaning to your life and therefore a reason to exist? Extreme on Twitch? Let me tell you something. I already explained this and I'm going to repeat myself. Everything you experience in your selfish you is part of the selfless. And you might say like, that doesn't make sense. What I want for myself is not selfless. That's not true. There is no difference between the selfish and the selfless. It's just one entity. It's what you are. It's all your neural activity. I might as well say we are all selfish. But because it overlaps too much with identity, selfless is more accurately description of what you are. Selfish is just a narrow interpretation of what you are. You're more selfless than selfish. And you might say like, but how does that work? What do you mean with that? Basically, when you think about yourself, you have the sense to relate it and channel it through identity, through your story. But what you are, what the self is, is all your neural activity, is your environment, is all your experiences. And the moment you start seeing yourself for that, rather than one concept or one belief, you become selfless. Because the self literally merges with your environment. Does that mean that suddenly I don't need to eat anymore? No, of course not. It means that every action that I do comes from a point that is more in line with what I am. So selfless doesn't mean without a self. When I use selfless is without the conventional way of people understanding the self, which is identity and all these things and story. So like without that, just you're pure what you are. That's it. So then you can say like, yeah, but isn't that coming for your existence or your, there is no such a thing as my existence. Something I talked to Katarina as well about, it's like, where does your existence start and where does it end? And you might say, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, if you just look at your billions of neurons, like, when did you start to exist? When you were born? In the belly? Like, when did existence start? The thing is, existence is more like a flow, like water. It's been flowing for billions of years. Since the first cell that has brought life, we're basically just a much more advanced version of it. And when we start thinking about existence and put boundaries around it, we're just not fully in line with what we are. The environment, all the experience, everything that has been part of our existence is interconnected with us. And you might wonder like, but man, this sounds so psychological or philosophical bullshit. Like, this is not true. Like, that's not what you are. You are just your brain and that's it. That's not true. You are all the information that has brought about what you are. And that goes back to the Big Bang. You can't just go like, oh, this is the brain and that's what you are. You don't understand physics by looking at just one piece, you understand physics by putting it in context, putting it in the environment, putting it in the universe. And when you start looking at the self from a more accurate point of view, from a more information perspective, then suddenly the idea of the self just completely dissolves. And of course, the reason why we are contributing to the world, the reason why we contribute to others is because it's what we're designed to do, because that's what allowed us to be where we are now. And when I say we, I'm really talking about a collective, about life. Lucille says, after reading The Power of Now, it seems quite important for me to end the delusion of time. Do you have any practical tips for staying more in the present? Lucille, I do. I do have very practical tips to me staying more in the present. Your brain and your consciousness is designed to make you survive. So basically, if you just sit and you can be in the present all the time at any given moment and experience great feeling, you would just sit on the couch and die. So basically what happens if you sit on the couch and you're in the present, what's going to happen? Like, by the way, this is very interesting information. 
what's going to happen is if you are hungry, you're going to start experiencing dissonance because you're hungry. And then it's going to bring you about to eat. Let's say now you're afraid of your future. You're going to start thinking about your future because you want to make sure that you're safe for the future. Basically, the extent to which you can be in harmony with your own system will be the extent to which you can stay in the present. The moment there's a part in you that thinks it's going against your survival, it will start firing. And as a result, subconsciously, it will start subconsciously start firing and will automatically start creating thoughts and ideas. And as a result, it's going to take you away from the present. So what is the best way to achieve staying in the present? Is to make sure that your entire consciousness is fulfilled. All the neural circuits are fulfilled. How do you do that? By not going against what you are. How do you do that? By understanding what you are. How do you do that? By seeing the best way of understanding what you are and using science and rationality and logic. How do you do that? By understanding also your subconsciousness. How do you do that? By implementing how important it is for your subconsciousness to value making sense and science and logic and rationality and really emotionally connecting to that because you understand that's what it is. Then as a result, just acting based on making sense and as a result, you know, being fully in peace of mind. So basically, staying in the present requires quite a lot of things that bring about making sense as a very core value, which brings about action and productivity. You can't just sit on your ass being in the present. If that would be the solution, then you would just drop dead. We wouldn't even exist. So dissonance is good. Being in the present is only good if it actually is functional. And if you make sense on a core level, you'd be automatically much more in the present because you'd be making sense and being reasonable and rational, like intuitively. But the moment that that's not the case, you will automatically have all these thoughts and ideas and such and be taken out of the present. That's why I've I've always had a very hard time relating to all the power of now stuff because to me it's obvious. Like I'm all the time in the present because I make sense automatically. Of course, sometimes I think about things, but I'm just saying like if you do not have the belief systems that are more in line with reality, you will automatically be taken away from the present. So yeah, another thing I wanted to talk about is something that helped Tanya a lot, and that is the example of the clone. Of course, there is certain people that might, you know, start thinking and going really against the idea that it's even possible to clone. But I think most people that are watching the stream can understand that it's possible to clone a human perfectly, to have an exact copy of you. It is possible to, to imagine that in the future it will be possible to make an exact clone of you, an exact replica. So the thoughts, same memories, everything, except it's a clone. So the thought experiment goes like this. Imagine there is a clone they make, right? Okay. And the original is in the other room and you're the clone. How does it feel? For a lot of people, their world collapses. They go like, yeah, but who am I then? What are my memories? My family is not really my family. I'm just a copy. Although everything is the same. And the thing is like, the reason why people fall into a hole is not because it is correct, but it's because their idea of themselves is not in line with reality. Because there is no difference between the clone and the original. The only difference is that you might be carrying the story that you've had in the past and not identify with it on an emotional level. But what that means is that doing so is not in line with reality to begin with. Because a clone should be perfectly able to function just as normal as the original. If you would tell me like, okay, Athene, you're the clone. Let's say that's the situation. I would be happy that cloning is possible. I wouldn't feel any kind of like, oh, 
all these achievements or everything I've done is not me. No, I would feel like, oh, let's get to work. Whereas other clones, the difference between the clone and the original doesn't make any sense to me. Nothing. The moment you experience even the slight difference between being the original or the clone, you already have a flawed, dysfunctional belief about the original or whatever. And when you're aware of that, you can actually start tackling these issues of identity and of emotional attachments to that. The clone example really helps a lot. And the reason why I'm giving this example, because I already told that, is to take it a step further. And basically the step further is, if I tell you, like, imagine if you were in Africa, then basically you would not experience everything you have here. You wouldn't take it for granted. And the thing is, like, even though that thought experiment works, for me at least, for a lot of people, they can't relate to it. They just go like, yeah, but I'm not in Africa. But what helped for Tanya is she can imagine that there is a clone. Imagine if the clone is in Africa right now and you are here and your clone is being tortured or whatever. Would you experience more privilege in your situation? And she goes like, oh, yes, of course, because my clone is being tortured right now. Of course, I start experiencing this as, you know, as more privileged. So basically being able to project yourself in other people by seeing them as clones, in a sense, can really help you elevate this identity bullshit dysfunctional beliefs. But let's take it a step further. Imagine you are cloned, and this is another thought experiment, and the original is getting tortured, and you are the clone sitting here. How do you feel then? The reason why I'm giving these thought experiments is because if you play with that, you start experiencing a lot of dysfunctional beliefs that allow you to calibrate yourself better with what you are. And what are you? You are a momentary, ever-changing expression of your current neural activity without center. That's what you are. You're constantly changing every single moment. And your idea of who you are is just a concept, a belief. That's it. Because what you are is ever-changing neural activity. And just as much as you look back, and this is something that Katerina said, just as much as you look at the clone on the other side, you could look at yourself 10 days ago as a clone of who you are now. And the, the thing is, if you start looking at the world like that, then it's not about identity anymore. It's not about self anymore. It's more about this understanding of what you are in the present and being able to detach yourself from all these you know, strong emotional connections you have and ability to see a boundary between you and outside. If you start seeing everybody as a clone version of yourself that has gone through a different experience, then as a result, what you get is you get a situation where you're more relating to this selfless awareness. And I'm going even further. If you want to identify with yourself, you have to define it, right? What is identity? You go like, yeah, it's my memories, it's my experiences. But if that is the case, then... Your brother is more part of your identity than you when you were just born. Because when you were just born, you didn't have all these memories and these thoughts and these emotions. Your brother shares more with your identity than your baby version of yourself. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't think about defining these concepts. Same with essence. What is your essence? Is it what you are when you strip everything away? Is it just your experience? Is it when you were a baby? When you think about these things and you think about these emotions, being able to conceptualize them and put them into words, and that's where it goes back to what I said earlier in this conversation, is extremely important because it allows you to get a better grip on how you feel, how you think, your awareness, how to move forward, direction. 
I know it's quite a lot of information, but I really think if you reflect on this and you understand that everything is right in front of you, you're just going to be able to relate to these concepts and these ideas to implement them in your awareness. If you understand that, you go from someone that just, you know, absorbs information in a more shallow way to someone that goes about it in a much more deeper, clearer, sharper way and starts understanding how to connect things and can allow you to grow exponentially. Mitten says, in multiple real talks, you say, talking about changing your core value. Okay. I'm going to be more concrete about that. Everybody has the same core impulsive instincts where you want safety, survival, warmth, love, whatever. These core desires you need to survive. Just like a dog or a cat has, animals have. And the thing is like, if you feel like survival, like the primitive instinct to eat or whatever, if that is not satisfied, you will really want to eat. And that's really something you're going to value the most is to eat, to find food. But of course, if you have enough food, it changes to maybe warmth or fitting in or love or whatever. Basically, you have like a system of things you need to satisfy before you can go to the next one. Either way, that is the impulsive emotional state of you, your core self. And it translates itself into you wanting to suck a nipple when you're a baby. And as you grow older, it translates to other things because you're instantly designed to, you know, to survive. But as you grow older, what happens is these needs start to become channeled through intellectual concepts. So what you feel dissatisfied with, like let's say it is warmth, might start being channeled through the need of a family. So the need of a family, as you say, is my core value. It's not really your core core value. It's more like the intellectual manifestation of what's underneath it, which is your need to fit in in your family because they are the ones that have been giving you that sense of safety. And that's how you intellectually frame it. Then if you go through an event where you get kicked out from your house or whatever, you start figuring out like, ah, it's not family that gives me safety. It's, for example, my ability to take care of myself. So it shifts to a different intellectual concept. So when you say you don't really know what your core value is, you're not saying you don't know what your core value is. What you're saying is you haven't really intellectually channeled this need, this emotional need you have through an intellectual concept. And you might say like, okay, what is my need? What is my emotional need? Well, obviously you have an emotional need. It might be maybe love or warmth or safety or whatever. You know, there is something you need on an emotional level. And then you can think about like, okay, how do I go about satisfying this need intellectually? Is it fitting in? Is it validation? It's actually crazy. I've never talked about this because it's quite important. It's to understand how you have this primitive part of the brain that just is a cocktail of emotions, of really primitive emotions that bring about your survival, whether it's surviving as a person by eating and whatever, or as a species to your social need of talking to people, whatever, or reproduction, you need to have a partner. Like all these things have a reason. You're designed the way you are because of uh, evolutionary reasons. That's why when people oh, come in and yeah. go like, yeah, you know, this reason and rationality to me, it's all about love. It's all about love. It's not about love. Like love is just a system. It's a mechanism that has evolved the way it did so that we survive. That's it. There is no more need. And when people say like, yeah, I don't really like all this pattern because I see sometimes on the Making Sense subreddit go like, yeah, to me it's about, it's more about my uh, hunch on things. It's more about, you know, my emotional feeling. 
about things. It's more about, you know, my instinct. I feel more connected to me. That is more important to me. It's just bullshit because even that, these instincts, all these emotions are there because it evolved that way. It's nothing special or mysterious or magic about it. So basically understanding how important it is to understand these emotional layers and understand how you are allows you to more, much more accurately channel it on an intellectual level. Because what we do all the time is always interpret these emotions. We always interpret these fundamental emotions and try to make sense out of it. We always do that. If you have a lack of love and you go around, you will very easily shape it in an intellectual concept and then you will feed them both because it's your way of communicating with your subconsciousness. You connect it to a concept and then the concept is what you use. The emotion then gets triggered whenever you think about the concept. That's how it works. It's kind of simple. So when you think like, oh yeah, I don't really have a core value, it's because you haven't really connected an intellectual concept on your core value, like really on an aware level. And it's the first step to, you know, to, to figure it out. I think I should have actually talked about this in the past already because I know it could have helped quite some people. So yeah, basically what I, was, what I was talking about is that being able to understand how your brain works really allow you to overcome these things. Although at the same time, what is important is awareness. Because me talking about it and you really connecting to it is two different things. That's why I also say having a will to see and a will to learn is also very important. The people that are watching the stream right now and don't really have a strong will to learn or absorb this information or just watching this stream just for entertaining purposes, you will miss out on a lot of things that I'm talking about. Because a lot of these insights require quite some active thinking and active listening in order to fully absorb it. So just listening to this without really fully trying to implement it and connect it to experiences and insights you have will make you miss out on most of the, the insights I'm talking about. What I also realized, by the way, is like how, you know, the ego is actually quite a, an advanced structure. The ego, what it allows you to do is it puts you in a state that allows you to overcome certain fundamental needs. And you might say, what do you mean with that? Like, I feel like the ego allows you to overcome certain weaknesses and allows you to overcome certain weaknesses and certain, certain needs at the cost of developing these parts in you that at the same time also are the same parts that allow you to grow more warmly and more awarely about what you are. So I really feel like the ego is a survival mechanism that allows you to make you more cold, make you experience things a lot less. But at the same time, these needs are still there, but it's just a way of overcoming them when you're in a really shitty situation. I'm starting to get more insight in how the ego works. And then when you have an intellectual, if it gets intellectually channeled, it's a really dangerous cocktail. Because it's fake, it's a facade, it's a shell, it's not who you are. And as a result, of course, people that are trapped in the ego can very easily, you know, be more primitive. They think less rationally because everything is more instinctively. The ego is like an instinctive mechanism. That's why it's so easy to see through it. People with ego is easy to see through. I actually start, you know, spotting it very easy when people have it activated. Subscribe to youtube.com slash wins. Watch the live stream at twitch.tv slash live. And follow the real Athene on Snapchat.